0: So, friends, I decided to take on in this homily the perennial question in theology and philosophy of what's called the problem of evil. Uh, so, kind of a big topic for a Sunday morning. In fact, I was thinking, you know, I mentioned last week John the 23rd, it's your church, Lord, I'm going to bed. I wouldn't blame you if you decided to take a nap during this, <laughs> this homily. But I've always thought in the three-year cycle of readings that we use this weekend lends itself to a discussion of that big topic more than any other. Because we have Job in the first reading, and if you've ever read the book of Job, Job is the, the book in the Bible that deals and wrestles with the question of why bad things happen to good people, and how can there be this much innocent suffering, and so on, more than any other book. And then in the gospel, we have Jesus asleep at the wheel. Jesus taking a nap while the the storms rage around the disciples. So I don't think there's any greater weekend to talk about this, because that's the symbol, right? God, why are you sleeping when so much bad is happening in the world? And that's the central question of the book of Job, right? We all know the, the problem. I'm sure you've wrestled with it. It's been formulated a million different ways. If God is all-knowing, he would certainly know about all evil and suffering. If God was all-powerful, he could certainly do something about it. And if God was all-loving and good, he would want to do something about it. Why do good things happen to bad people? How do we reconcile our belief in a personal, loving, benevolent God with the existence of so much suffering and evil in the world? We know that question. We wrestle with it. I want to get at it uh, in three different ways. And again, this seems a little technical, but I feel like this is such a perennial question for us that it deserves um, our time. The first is what we might call the logical problem of evil, right? That it's logically incompatible to believe in a loving God who allows so much suffering. I actually think this is pretty easy to think about for us. Which is, we all know, right, we're celebrating Father's Day this weekend, we all know that a loving parent might permit a certain degree of suffering or evil for their child in order that they learn some greater lesson, right? A parent might permit their child to flunk a test that they didn't adequately study for instead of intervening, right, obsessively, so that the child learns, that they gotta, they got to change. Right? A parent might let a child that's struggling with an addiction kind of hit rock bottom in order that maybe that be the beginning of their path of redemption and rehabilitation. We all know that the existence of a loving and good parent doesn't preclude that that loving and good parent might not allow some degree of suffering. So I don't think it's logically incompatible. It's also true that it seems that the existence of a free world requires that God allows some degree of suffering and evil. Right, The two ways that this has been talked about in the tradition is moral evil on the one hand, evil that uh, we do to others. right, Human beings commit through their own free choices. But then naturally, or physical suffering, the things that happen to us. Think about hurricanes and natural disasters and cancer and viruses. Things which are often out of our control, which happen to us and inflict an incredible degree of suffering. The moral evil problem seems not to be much of a problem if we think that God took the risk of giving humans free will. If God was going to take the risk of giving humans free will, that means that humans are capable of doing incredibly bad things in the world. But I think it's also true for the universe as a whole. Right? If God wants to create a stable, consistent universe for us to live in, he can't intervene at every moment. Right, He's got to let the natural world act according to its natural processes. I, I often think about the same sun that we delight in and that grows crops is the same sun that causes skin cancer, causes droughts, food shortages, that same sign. And so if God were to intervene every moment the natural world were going to produce less than ideal circumstances, I'm not sure we could live in a world that was something we could even call a stable external world. And so it seems that an alternative universe without free human beings and and the free processes of nature is actually kind of inconceivable. So I don't think the the logical problem of evil holds a ton of water. But here's the one that's more challenging. You might say, okay, I realize that God allows some suffering, just like a parent might. I realize that God created a world in which some suffering and evil is possible. But the amount of it is just too much. This I'm going to call the evidential problem of evil. It's the most compelling It's like, okay, I get it, God, a little bit of suffering and evil. But 50,000 dying in a tsunami? Six million Jews in the Holocaust? Like, God, you've designed this pretty flawed. How could you not intervene in those cases, when the innocent suffer, when children die? How can you not intervene there? It's a compelling argument. I hope you've wrestled with it. As a believer. A couple of things to maybe think about. Number one, whenever I'm engaged in a discussion on this with people, I often use kind of a slippery slope argument, right, which isn't a proof, but I say, okay, look, and this seems sort of weird to play with human lives in terms of statistics, but, but it is, it's a philosophical argument. Okay, you think 50,000 in a tsunami is too much. Would you be okay with 25,000? Right? If Would you be okay with that threshold and the existence of a loving person? No, 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 not 25. That's way too much. But how about 10? How about 1,000? How about 100? And what you end up finding out is that person actually doesn't think there should be any suffering in the world. It takes us right back to the first problem, the logical problem of evil. They want no suffering and evil in the world with the existence of a personal and loving God. So it's hard, it's hard to say like what amount of suffering, what's the line where we can make compatible loving God and this amount of suffering. Because the truth is we almost always see this through our own lens. Like I've never had doubts of faith generally when some evil or suffering happens distantly or remotely from me. But I have had doubts of faith when it happens close to home. We often don't think about the tragedies happening every day distantly as disproving God, but we often, in the midst of a suffering or tragedy that we're personally encountering, right, it, 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 it makes us wrestle with our faith. But the big answer to this question is what the book of Job is all about, that we can't understand the calculus. Right. So if you know the book of Job, if you've never read it, it's an incredible book, but it all comes to head in chapter 38. God's speech. It's the longest speech of God in the Bible. And Job has lost everything. If you don't know the book, Job's lost everything. He's lost his 10 kids. He's lost his possessions. He's lost everything. And three friends have tried to tell him that it's because of something he did. And he's not convinced of that because he's a righteous guy. So finally, he just calls God out and says, God, I don't understand why this is happening to me. What did I do? Why do I deserve this? And finally, God in chapter 38 of the book of Job speaks. Right? And we heard a part of it today. In the first reading, he says, Job, who are you? Where were you when I created the foundations of the world? Where were you when I created the morning? Where were you when I cupped in my hand the seeds? His basic answer to Job is, Job, you're never going to understand the full calculus of human suffering. Certainly not in this life, usually. Sometimes we see down the road where some suffering has produced a good. But for immense suffering, we may never see. Like God's providence until the life to come. We're like one thread on one of these tapestries. Our life is one thread. Our suffering is one thread. We can't see the full picture. And that's what God says to Job. He takes him on this exploration of the cosmos and says, You have no clue. You see everything through this small lens. This small lens. You can't possibly understand the totality of the richness and complexity of divine providence. Finally, we have the emotional problem of evil. This is the gut-wrenching feeling when we're in the midst of some amazing tragedy. And there's really no words. Right? A really cool part of the book of Job is that when these three friends first arrive to be with Job, after he's lost his ten kids and all of his possessions and everything, it says they sat in silence with him for seven days, mourning. In other words, they didn't say a word There was nothing to say. Now, eventually, unfortunately, after seven days, they start talking. They don't talk very well. They should have stayed silent for longer. It's a good message for us in pastoral ministry. But when we're in the midst of tragedy, right? you're not going to lay out the logical problem of evil and the evidential problem of evil. We're just in the midst of the mystery of human suffering. right? And the only thing we can hang on to as believers is the cross. That God knows what we're going through. That's the unique thing about Christianity is that God is not aloof from human suffering. He did it. He experienced it. So he's there with us. In the cross, he's there. He knows what it's like. So there's not much we can say. Just be silent. Whenever I get called into a tragic situation, I just pray, Lord, I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to say, but I just, I want my presence to be enough. I just need my presence to be enough. Let the cross of Jesus be the compelling reminder that we are never alone in human suffering. So friends, we've all wrestled with this question. I'm sure I certainly have. I think all people of faith should. In fact, I think it's the greatest objection uh, to believe in a personal and loving God. The existence of so much suffering in the world, I don't think it disproves God, but I think it's a strong objection, And there's ways that we can talk about it. Ultimately, Jesus in the gospel calls the disciples to trust the faith, right? He's napping. And they say, why are you sleeping while we're perishing, right? That's the objection of evil, the problem of evil. Why are you taking a nap, God, when all of this bad stuff is happening in the world? Why are you sleeping? He says, do not yet have faith. Faith is not blind, of course, but it's because I trust God and I find reasons to believe in him and have confidence in him. I trust him in the midst of human suffering, even when I can't see the full picture, even when I can't see the complex, the rich complexity of his plan of divine providence, which doesn't just encompass this world, but encompasses the world to come. He sees everything visible and visible. We only see that which is visible in our own little corner of the painting. God sees the entirety of the painting. So there's a degree of trust and faith that has to come along uh, with this problem of evil. So friends, I think we've all felt like Job. I think we've all felt like the disciples in the gospel. Uh, let's call ourselves a deeper faith and confidence and firm trust in the one who has suffered for us and died with us. And that we may never totally understand the mystery of human suffering in this life. But we know one thing for sure, God understands it as well, and he is with us in the midst of our own suffering.